If you've got a Bible, you might want to start uh, scrolling or turning to Matthew 5. We're going to be starting off in verse 17, and we'll see where we get to. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, that's okay. I'll be projecting it up on the screen later. Good morning. My name's Raj. Yeah, my name's Raj. I'm one of the elders here. I'm seeing lots of new people up on the top, down below. Um, it's great to have new people. Some older faces, old friends. Not old, you know, from the past. Um, so keep coming along. That's my invitation to you. I think I've said that to you. Some of you directly get stuck in to the friendship and family here. Get to know Jesus more. That's what we love you. Um, love to see um, in everybody, every day, whoever you are, whatever, uh, wherever you've come from, um, and whatever you've done in the past, nothing, nothing is big enough or difficult enough for Jesus to make put right and use you and send you in his purpose across Teesside. We have community groups, yep, and I'm seeing a few faces that have come week in, week out. We have community groups, so I want to encourage you to fill out one of those forms or ask one of us about a community group to join. That's a midweek meeting where we gather together in smaller friendship groups to pray for one another, to look at the Bible more, to have fun, to eat together, all these different things. We've got community groups for younger people, older people, geographic community groups, all sorts of things. Okay, so if you're not part of a community group, ask us today. We'd love you, love to connect you. So we're continuing from uh, last week uh, where Sue called us to be salt and light. What a great uh, Sunday that was, hope for Teesside, hope for the UK, hope for the world around us, a hope that comes from Jesus' revolutionary teaching made real in each and every one of us by his revolutionary spirit. Come the revolution, that's what this sermon series is called. A Bible teacher called Stanley Horus puts it brilliantly, to, to be formed, he says this, to be formed in the habits, the virtues of the prayer we are taught to pray means that Christians cannot help but appear as a threat to the legitimating ideologies of those who rule. In other words, the political and social rules of the day that clash. Christians do not seek to be subversives or those who disagree with what's happening. It just turns out that living according to the Sermon on the Mount cannot help but challenge the way things are. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel God moving in your circumstances? We are a contrast community, Jubilee, a countercultural people, a home where God dwells in us and changes everything and everyone around us through love, compassion, and joy. That's who we are, Jubilee, continue to be, as Sue said last week, salt and light. So let's read Matthew 5 from verse 17. It's a long passage today, actually, but we'll read bit by bit. Verse 17, do not think that I, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets or all the Bible of old. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside 
one of the least of these commands, uh, and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the religious top top guys of the day, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pause there for a moment. Let's pause there. The key big idea that uh, Jesus is trying to get across here is that he is the fulfillment of the entire Bible, what Matthew calls the law and the prophets. When we read this book, God is divinely downloading who he is to us. He is describing his character in the midst of all sorts of life situations, historic perspectives, um, ethical dilemmas. He's declaring his presence and power in the midst of highs and lows and suffering and celebration with little or plenty. This book, Jubilee, is God's love letter to us, his heart, his passion, his ruthless grace in your life and the lives of others. In John's account uh, of the Christmas story, we're nearly there. He calls Jesus the Word. Do you remember that? In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the word and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us full of grace and truth. We might be hearing that at Christmas, I can't remember. Sounds a bit clumsy though, doesn't it? Why is John calling Jesus the Word? Has he forgotten his name? Obviously not. This is deliberate by John, speaking to the cultural people of the day. You see, in Greek, the Word is translated logos, from which we get our words like logic or reasoning or thinking stuff out, making sense. This term, word, logos, reasoning, thinking, was very popular amongst the Greek culture of the day. It's how people argued their case. It's how people wielded power. It's how people became prominent figures of society. It's how people worked the world out, the complexities of the world. And so John breaks into this knowledge-based worldview of reasoning and thinking and rationalizing by describing Jesus the King of Kings, as the Word, the fulfillment of the law and prophets. That's a big deal. He's kind of saying, hey, if you want answers, um, if you want answers about what makes the world tick, what's going on in your life, you need to come to the Word, Jesus. If you want faith that isn't blind, if you want reason and meaning that stands the test of time, come to Jesus, the very meaning of life the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who comes to you first, Emmanuel, God with us. He's been with us today, Shirley said this morning, hasn't he? Happy Christmas, Neely. By the way, invite, happy Christmas, by the way, invite all your friends on the 12th of December, right? There's a slight detour. Um, it'd be great to see friends and family in this room in 1904 when this building opened. It was packed out, and it, it was packed out for years upon years, and things have kind of dwindled a little. But we, by the grace of God, by the power of God, want to 
fill this place again, don't we? We want to fill this place with praise and worship, with people who don't feel worthy to come here. Everyone, everywhere. So invite your friends, invite your family, post it on social media, face, twit, snap, talk, whatever it is. Yeah. Get those messages out, personal messages, personal invites. We still do that today, you know. So Jesus is the word anywhere. The the Jesus, the word, is the fulfillment of all what the Bible says. And when you are filled full with his righteousness, that comes through Jesus, not by anything you've done, by the way, and you might have got a feel for that in the songs we've sung, but by everything Jesus has done, then and only then, will your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees. That's what Jesus is saying in the teachers of the law. Grace jubilee always trumps religion. Grace jubilee always trumps religion. And this book, we're going to come back to the book, this book on every page whispers Jesus' name. Get to know him. Anyhow, let's step back again. Because at first reading, I I always thought this about the Sermon on the Mount, at first reading it can sound like a random set of ideas, a little bit like kind of flight of ideas, a bit like Proverbs sometimes reads. It's, It's... and, and actually, it's not. It's, a, it's one of the greatest speeches, talks anybody has ever given. But it gets lost to us, I think, in the literal and cultural translation. But actually, it's flowing. It's flowing from one point to another. It's connected. The Beatitudes that we read about were describing the kind of people whose God's, who, who God's blessing rests on, the unexpected ones, the upside-down kingdom, the kind of characteristics and fruit from a life saturated by Jesus. The first bit was about favor, God's favor. Then we had flavor, didn't we? Saltiness and people who bring the taste of God, the preservation and healing and restoration of God to the world. Especially, if you know it, in persecution, in hardship, in difficulties, when things aren't going right. And then we've just read this morning about fulfillment, favor, flavor, fulfillment, all of it, not, not oppressive religion, but an empowering person. And then we get on to the next bit, the tough bits of the Sermon on the Mount. You see, the rest of Matthew 5 is actually quite difficult reading. I find it very difficult reading. Jesus isn't a cardboard cutout God. Sometimes we come to him like that. We don't make him. He makes us. He changes us. What comes out next in the reading of Matthew 5 is what sounds like the most unbelievable, unrealistic set of instructions you might have ever heard. Instructions that you think, hey, come on, how do we live like that? Jesus, get real. We might say that politely, of course. It's a bit like saying Raj is going to decorate the house and put up a few shelves and plaster a wall this week all by himself. Uh Uh-uh. Or Gavin is going to start supporting Spurs instead of Liverpool and buy the top and, you know, all of that stuff. Not happening, is it, Gavin? Or maybe all of our Iranian brothers and sisters are turning vegan from tomorrow. No meat, fellas and ladies. What Jesus is calling us to in this next section is a bit like that. Unrealistic expectations. 
or are there? Anyhow, let's read a few of them. Let them sink in. Let them soak in. You have heard, we're going to be reading Matthew 5, 21 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus tells you that anyone who is angry with a brother and sister will be subject to judgment. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way together. In other words, don't take them to court in the first place. Settle beforehand. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his or her heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You've heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. They only generally wore two things in those days. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be, in a nutshell, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let that sink in for a while. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yes, Jesus. I'm reading this and thinking, yes, Jesus, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely? But what planet are you on? In fact, while I was reading that, just now, uh, while I was reading that and going through each one of those, I was trying to wriggle my way out of them, trying to explain politely to Jesus why he was wrong, looking for exceptions and excuses. Are you doing that? (laughs) But I guess the reason why it is so powerful what we've just read, these are things that the world has read about, have created laws and all societies across the centuries. The reason why they are so powerful is precisely because it seems so unrealistic. Yet in our heart of hearts, we resonate with the truth of it, don't we? What would a world like that be like? What would a future look like if we were all to say yes to Jesus' vision of this perfect humanity? What a place for our kids to grow up. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? And Jesus means it. He means it. But he also sees something that we don't. You see, basically, there are two ways that people decide how to live correctly. 
One, they make laws and rules, outward things that are on the no list. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't break your promises. We legislate for behavior in this country. In a way, they are focusing on, if you like, on our outward actions, the actions of the hands or the mouth, the mouth or whatever other things. Outward things. But Jesus says, I don't just want your hands. I want your heart. That is the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me put it differently. Our laws and rules are about what we actually do, but Jesus' instructions are about what we want to do. Our desires, our cravings, our unhealthy motives, and so on. We can't legislate for those things. How could you? Where would you start? But Jesus says addressing just what we do isn't enough, Jubilee. I'm not going to leave it at just murder, but where all that came from, anger, resentment, jealousy, bitterness, I'm not going to just leave it at adultery, but where are those seeds grown from? Lust, sex while you're dating, pornography, relational apathy, dissatisfaction, fantasizing in your heart, the seeds. And really what Jesus is describing isn't just the way of the law. He's fulfilled that. He's describing, Jubilee, the way of the Spirit. The Spirit. We've had lots of prayers this morning, haven't we, about fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, God promises us that he'll change our hearts first so our hands follow suit. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. God does it. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and as a result, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus put it differently in Mark. It's what comes out of a person that pollutes obscenities, lusts, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, drunkenness, mean looks, slander, arrogance, foolishness, I think that pretty much includes everybody here. Certainly includes all of me, probably. All of these are vomit from the heart, Jesus says. Philip Yancey tells a story um, about a prostitute. A prostitute. He says this: A prostitute came to me in a wretched state, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me that she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men who were interested. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a whole night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. The writer says, I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. At last I asked her if she'd ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. We welcome Jubilee because God is love. One of our spotlights is that, we, that we're presently talking about is about creating a church environment of extravagant welcome. I felt it this morning when I walked in with friends from the university. What could that look like? 
And you know what, Jubilee, you are good at, good at this. It's in your DNA. It's why I stayed. It might be a good thing or a bad thing. It's why I stayed at the church after walking through the doors 23 years ago, slightly apprehensive with all my preconceptions of what church and church people you lot are like. But you blasted all of that out of my worldview. Church was a family. Church was mixed up with all sorts of people. Church was a place to be loved. Church was a place to grow. Church was a place to grieve for me. Church was a place to find purpose in God. Thank you and well done. You are good at this jubilee. We were just talking about that at our core team get together. 1 John 4 says, we love because he loved us. He, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. That's what Val was talking about in her interpretation of the tongue. I was reading about the woman caught in adultery in John 8 just the other morning and felt the terror of those religious people who were about to stone this woman. And, and, and as a and as I was thinking, I was thinking, gosh, how terrible those horrid religious people are. Then boom, as often happens when you read the Bible, Jesus was looking at me. I'm very conscious of the fact that I can very easily pick up stones and start aiming. Somebody's kids are a little wild on a Sunday morning. Put down your stones, Raj, and help. Someone's marriage is a little on the rocks. Put down your stones and stop being so judgmental and help, Raj. Put down your... Um, someone's boyfriend or girlfriend isn't a Christian. Put your stones down and help. Someone is from a foreign nation and doesn't do things like we do. Put down your stones and help. Single people, LGTB, LGTBQ+, brothers and sisters... Single parents, people who don't turn up every Sunday religiously, one of your struggling community group leaders, so many different people, put down your stones and help. God has not called us to be stone throwers. Thankfully, you are not. But the reason why I'm highlighting this is in a time of blessing and reaping, which we are seeing now, the enemy is on the prowl, roaring, lying, murdering, Stealing, tempting, deceiving, dividing. Be on guard. Be on guard, said it. Put on the armor of God. As Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, constantly be determined to use the weapon of love. God is calling us to be different. So, back to the Bible to finish. I believe this is a season of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yeah. In the midst of, I shared about depression and all of that I went through over the last few years, that word, you know, be trans the renewing of mind, the mind of Christ, has really um, got me and it's really got me to think and look at what does the Bible say and pray into all of this. The practice of having our minds reformed by immersing ourselves in Scripture is such an important one. We need to make time for it. The psalmist writes of hiding God's words in our hearts so that we might not sin. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, talking about transformation that, marriage, that the marriage bond brings, described this as, I love it, washing of the Word. 
washing by the word. When we come to God, our minds and hearts are filthy and need washing. Cluttered, mine is, with false beliefs and attitudes, deadly feelings, misguided plans, and hopes and fears. My mind is like what uh, Henry Nuon, uh, uh, the Dutch Catholic priest and theologian, said it was like a banana tree filled with monkeys, constantly jumping up and down. It is rarely still or quiet. All these thoughts, like so many of the chimps in my mind, clamor for attention. I like that. Or worse still, as the 6th century uh, Christian monk John Climacus describes it, as maggot egg, maggot's eggs that incubate in the soil of fallenness. That's probably more like it. If the band can come up, that would be great. Jubilee, renewing our minds in God, is about addressing the cluttered mind. The deviant mind, this condemning mind, this proud mind, this me and only me, me, me mind. And bringing it above all the monkeys and the maggots to see one thing above everything else. Jesus. To be filled full with Jesus. This book is the full, he is the fulfillment of all this book and he is going to fill us full with all he promises. That's what being washed by the Word is all about. So starting this week, read the Bible bit by bit in a new way. I know a lot of you do that, but a lot of you don't. Ask God to meet you as you read it. Read it differently to make it less about information, but more about transformation and intimacy with God. Repeat it, re read it with a repentant spirit, like reading this stuff today. Not trying to wheedle your way out of what it says, but allow Allowing Jesus in. Meditate on brief passages or some of the stories and immerse yourselves into them. That's what I did with the woman on the well. It was a bit painful. Read them slowly. Read it in the way that you might read a love letter at the height of romance. What did the arms of the aging father look like when he grabbed hold of his prodigal son? Jubilee, the goal is not for us to get through the Scriptures. The goal is to get the Scriptures through us. Like it says in Jer Jeremiah, I love this. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Be filled full with Jesus this week and every week, Jubilee. That's how Teesside, this nation and the nation is going to be changed. I'm going to, we're going to break bread now. We're going to break bread now. So I think there's bread stations and, uh, and juice stations down and up. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to first do something. I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. Yeah, it's a, it's a prayer that churches have been saying across the world for centuries. It's something we don't often do. They call it confession. Yeah. And it's this coming before God with a repentant spirit, a meek spirit, a humble spirit, and saying, God, I need you. So I'm going to read this prayer. I'm going to read this prayer. It's a confession prayer. It's about grace, 
Uh, it's about actually being ourselves, not to do a whole lot of things that, you know, work harder and harder. It's about being who you are, right? But as I pray this out, I want you to engage with God, yeah, engage with God, and say, say it out in your heart and mean it, okay? And then what we're going to do is we're going to break bread together as the band starts leading us in worship, okay? So I'm going to read the prayer. Here we go. Gracious and loving God, open our hearts so that we are able to admit to you the fullness of our lives. That which is beautiful and good and that which is hurtful and hateful. We confess that we do not follow Jesus in all that we do. With love, we love with conditions. We judge and condemn. We cast the first stone and keep the logs in our own eyes. We do not turn to you as the source of our healing. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive our sin and empower us to be imitators of Christ in love and in service. Amen. Excellent. Okay, we're going to break bread now. This symbolizes Jesus' body and blood spilt.